1: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now.
0: Are you feeling lucky? No purchase
1: necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: I just went to see Judd interviewed Roger Daltrey for like some L.A. Speaks thing. And Roger said, you know, I've been married to the same woman since like, whatever, 1966 and... You know, the reason is we don't ask questions. You know, I go on tour and she just doesn't ask. She ignores all my hickeys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was just this ocean of silence. Like, we're not allowed to clap at that.
3: Sorry,
1: Yeah, dude. it's <laughs> hard, dude. My wife's right next yeah, to me. Yeah, it's a bunch You're of people
2: with their wife. It's are very I was, awkward for us. I, <laughs> I was there with my girlfriend. <laughs> and everyone's like, mm, that's a good start.
1: What do you want to eat after this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, do you, exactly. you want uh, Cheesecake
0: Factory again? This disgusts me. I could talk Oliver's Army is safe to stay. Oliver's Army on their way. And I would rather be anywhere else than
1: in the way. dee ba do Oliver's Army by Elvis Costello from his 1979 album Armed Forces. It's also number 475 out of 500 on The 500 with Josh Adam Myers, a.k.a. your home for all things fleece-related. Attention! Fleece Army, you can relax. Hope you guys are having a good week. The King of Fleece had an incredible week, and I hope you guys are enjoying your journey through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. Thank you to everybody that has been doing the Instagram stories. I really want you to keep doing it. Take a screenshot of how you're listening to the 500 and tag me on it and put it on your Instagram stories, guys. Tag at Josh Adam Myers, put hashtag the 500 podcast. Give me a 24-hour ad on your social media, and I will love you forever. If you do that, you're immediately a sergeant in the Fleece Army. I had an incredible week, like I mentioned. Not only did uh, I tape this episode, which I had a fucking blast uh, making, but I also did Bill Burr Presents on Comedy Central. I taped a... uh, Stand-up set for Comedy Central, Bill Burr picked 18 comics. I was one of them. We taped it at the Terragram Ballroom in downtown L.A. I went up dead last in the night, and I had the time of my life. It was a fucking perfect night, man. Everybody that performed on the tapings did incredible. Uh, the host, Jay Larson, uh, one of my closest friends from the Line podcast, from the Piece. He was the host and just made the room perfect. And then me and uh, and Bill, after the show, we went out and smoked a cigar. And just, it was, it was fantastic. So to everybody that's congratulated me from seeing it on my social media, thank you guys so much. Uh, it is a moment in my life that I am going to be holding super, super dear to me. All right, guys. Today in music for April 24th. On this day in 1976, Saturday Night Live executive producer Lorne Michaels goes on camera to offer the Beatles $3,000 to reunite on the show. Paul McCartney and John Lennon are watching at Lennon's New York City apartment and consider showing up on a lark, but pass up the opportunity. You know how dope that would have been if they actually would have done that? I mean that would've changed the trajectory of of John's life for sure. I bet John's still alive if they would have shown up to Saturday Night Live, they would have jammed because guess what? They'd be like, Can we we should probably do some gigs together? Oh that would be great. We should definitely do some gigs, John. How about we play Madison Square God? We get Ringer and we get George back and we just go all Kadoogly Spoogly. I'd love to go and get old Badoogly Spoogly. Yeah, well that happened today, everybody. All right, a little bit about Armed Forces. Recorded in the summer of 78, released in January 79, this is the third album by Elvis Costello. The original working title was Emotional Fascism, but this album continued the biting lyrical mastery and 60s hit parade-worthy songwriting that listeners came to expect after his first two releases. And the title wasn't just Ironic because he continued with the tradition of expressing his persona as an angry young romantic. Elvis had been the anti-fascist dude from the start. His first single from his first album was Less Than Zero. Now that was a biting critique of the fascist movement in England. On the following album, he had another swipe at the same subject with Night Rally. And it was on that second record in 1978's This Year's Model that Elvis explosively debuted his powerhouse of a band, The Attractions. But you know what's funny? They actually didn't put The Attractions on any of the album covers. The Attractions was Bruce Thomas on bass, the unrelated Pete Thomas on drums, and Steve Naive on keyboards. A year of touring for this year's model, much of it in America, had made them even tighter as they started Armed Forces. Perhaps that's why the attractions received co-billing on that and the cover of every subsequent album they were on. Most of this record was composed on the road during that year of touring in America, while Elvis's first marriage was disintegrating. As Elvis recalled, It was also inspired by all the eclectic contemporary music they were being exposed to, like ABBA, David Bowie, Iggy Pop, and Kraftwerk. As Elvis recalled, it seemed as if we were making an impossibly sophisticated leap from the sound of this year's model, but listening now, there are very few production devices that sit between the listener and the songs we probably never had quite this level of consistent musical arrangement again. This is an interesting album, and I have a very interesting guest. My guest this week is comedian, podcaster, and writer, and also legend Dana Gould. You know him from Stand vs. Evil on IFC and Hulu, the Dana Gould Hour podcast. He's a legend in comedy. He's one of my favorites. He's also worked on The Simpsons, which is the greatest show in television history. And the fact that I got to sit down with him when it almost didn't happen, I am so happy you guys are going to be able to sit down and listen to us break this record down. Don't forget to listen to the end of the podcast where we spotlight a new artist that was directly influenced by Elvis Costello. Also, Great review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500, guys. Please subscribe. I know you're out there. I know you're listening. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. If you're on Apple, leave a motherfucking review. Do it for me because I love you. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, with that being said, nothing left to say, but here we go with number 475 out of 500 with Armed Forces by Elvis Costello. Dana good, Dana fucking good, Dana good, Dana fucking good. This is great, dude, because I, I have—I now have a theme song. You have a theme song. Uh, <laughs> i You know what's funny is I was so excited when we first had you booked, and then when you said you might not have been able to do it, and then it came back around, I couldn't tell you how oh, happy I was. Nice. Because I've, I've known you for a while, but I've wanted to sit down and just talk to you because I've, I've known your comedy for years, The Simpsons, everything you've done. I've just been such a huge fan Oh, of. you're kind. So uh, I guess let's get started with saying, well, I just don't know where to begin. <laughs> How he used to
2: start his live shows, because what better way to start a live show than I just don't know where to begin?
1: Yeah, it's, it's from what no, I know. No, it's, he, it's says, he says it. it takes forever. It's now or never. This was actually my first real foray into Elvis Costello. Oh, I knew wow. the hits, okay. I knew Pump It Up. I knew of course, you know actually the song that I knew the most that I've been rocking uh, in between this is She from the Notting Hill soundtrack, which I
2: believe is a cover of the is it the the Monkees?
1: No idea, she? but I've I when I first saw That's Notting cover, Hill, yeah. when I first saw Notting Hill and that song came on, I wept because mm-hmm. the movie was that powerful. It's up there with like, you know, Schindler's List <laughs> and The Last Emperor and any of those Academy Award winning films. So let me ask you. So you're you're a diehard Elvis Costello fan. I am, yes.
2: I just bought tickets the other day.
1: Oh, I'm going to go to that too. At yeah, the Greek?
2: Blondie,
1: yeah. 100% I'm going. So how did you become a fan of Elvis Costello? Like how did, like set me, take me through that.
2: I was, uh, I, I got into good music late. Yeah. Uh, where I w- grew up, I grew up in uh, the middle of Massachusetts um, I'm from the same hometown as Joe Perry of Aerosmith. Joe Perry's mother was our gym teacher in high school. Why don't you guys have the same accent? He's got like a
1: thick He's Boston. A, he still
2: lives there. That's that's why. <laughs> um, but where I grew up, the the music in my high school in the in the which was uh, when this stuff came out late '70s, early '80s was. You know, uh, Neil Young was big in my high school. Jethro Tull was big in my high school. Yes. It was just AOR, down the road rock. It wasn't until I went to college uh, in, uh, in the fall of 82 that I got exposed to good music, and I latched onto Elvis Costello immediately because he, you know, I, I was I, I really liked New Wave. It, it appealed to me because of my personality, you know David Lee Roth said the greatest thing about Elvis Costello he said music critics love Elvis Costello because they all look like Elvis Costello <laughs> and he's right and and that's how I felt like I'm not a big you know I'm I'm not a big rock dude with a big hairy chest and long hair I'm not a Robert Plant kind of looking guy yeah um but i look like elvis because oh yeah i look like that guy a nerdy guy with glasses and uh, so 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 he, so he re- i related to him as a person uh his music was very angry i was full of anger yeah I was an irish kid from massachusetts and uh and then as i got into him later uh you know you just begin to appreciate the complexity of his writing and his lyrics or i mean nobody writes lyrics like Elvis
1: Costello i just blown away by some of the things that he says it's like he has a
2: Cole Porter level lyrical ability yes uh,
1: perfect Uh, way to explain it It, because for someone like me who like I said wasn't a huge fan and then listening to it you're hearing these beautiful songs that are very upbeat and then you start reading the lyrics and you're like what the fuck this is like there's a lot, of, a lot of, like, World War II references in this. There's some yes, especially, especially, especially in, in this, yeah. yeah. in
2: Armed Forces, too, yeah. there's a, Yeah, I mean, he has some of my favorite lines. Uh, these aren't necessarily from Armed Forces, but just random lines. You're the one who hates to love, and he's the one who loves to hate. Uh, uh, one of my favorite all-time Elvis lines is from an album uh, that came out in 1980. 19- he released two albums in 1986, uh, uh, King of America and Blood and Chocolate. And uh, the there's a lyric on uh, King of America that says, uh, "Don't think for a moment, dear, that we'll ever be through. I'll build a bonfire of my dreams and burn a broken effigy of me and you."
1: Yeah, it's like Jesus Christ. I mean, it's it's like I, I was that line is worse than my divorce. When I <laughs> when I started, like when I really sat down and started reading the lyrics to find out the full meanings of some of these songs, it, it just blew me away like his wordplay like the uh i'm trying to see because i know i've got him pulled up later and yeah, I, I have down. i have
2: them in front of me too but so but them, yeah.
1: let me so let's dive into this record so Our album is number 475 out of 500. It's the third studio album by Elvis Costello, Armed Forces, released on January 5th, 1979, produced by Nick Lowe, recorded at Eden Studios in London. So what's going on in your life the first time you heard this? Well,
2: the first time I heard it, uh, like to listen to it, I was a college freshman. But when this came out and I was tangentially aware, we, we didn't really get... Uh, Elvis Costello, if I wanted to listen to Elvis Costello uh, when I was in high school, I would have had to listen to um, the radio station in Boston, W, I'm blanking on it, uh, BCN would have would have played uh, okay. Elvis Costello. Um, but we didn't listen to WBCN, we listened to WAAF, the Rock and Roll Air Force. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, it was a lot of... Um, you know, a lot of heavy metal. Oh, right yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. It's <laughs> exactly <laughs> a corner, and and, uh, and uh, the Who, which is you know my favorite band, and uh, who's uh,
1: your favorite band?
2: Yeah, Who. And it goes back and forth with Elvis Costello and the Who. Okay. Um, but uh, um, so so there was that. We didn't. Really, I wasn't really exposed. To it. Like we had the. I'll give you an example. Nineteen seventy nine. Uh, I believe uh, Ghost in the Machine came out in eighty. I think. And that's 80, the police, 80, no, right? 81, 81. Ghost in the Machine came out in 1981. Okay. Now, I'm going to use a term I can't use today. Uh, in my high school, somebody did bring in uh, the Police album. I believe they brought in um, Zenyatta Mondatta, which came out in 79 or 80. Yeah. The kids in my high school thought the police were, quote, fags, quote, <laughs> because they had all dyed their hair blonde.
1: Yeah, but see, it's it's you like know. they were actually cool when that came out. Oh, it's completely. Like, thing no, became a fag later.
2: We, but we were <laughs> see. Although it was nineteen seventy nine, nineteen eighty, we were in nineteen fifty five. No, I completely. Yeah, it was it was complete. Yeah. and and at the time this album comes out, so this is nineteen seventy nine. This is this album comes out at the height of disco. <laughs> uh, these are the top ten. So the the, the number one song, Billboard Hot One Hundred, nineteen seventy nine. Yeah. Was a rock and roll song, My Sharona by The Knack. Great
1: song. Great song.
2: About my realtor, Sharona Alperin.
1: You being serious yes
2: she's the cover of the 45 my real estate agent <laughs> that's about, about her
1: she could be a good deal like she, she's great if she no can. if you need to buy her, yeah. Yeah. yeah if you need a realtor Sharona <laughs> Alper she's she, awesome does, is that like in her like pitch to get you to use you her don't, well you know she's like well listen I've sold more I can sell homes very quickly <laughs> also the kinks wrote a song about yeah, me yeah. but that's besides yeah. the point let's go take the a look na- at this three bedroom the <laughs> oh the knack? knack. Oh, I yeah. was close
2: yeah but uh no no she's you don't she's huge like you don't she doesn't have to solicit work but yeah as we're talking into her I guess so are you are you sure yeah I'm surrounded. <laughs> look at the floor, look at the album cover those are my boobs like <laughs> she's just, awesome she's great i just she's
1: love great. to believe that you guys all right, we're gonna go check out a few places and you turn the car on and it says it's bang, 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 bang. Bang. It's, all
2: right so i heard her. but so, so, let me just finish no, ahead, please finish. So, it. so my Sharona" by the neck is the number one song here are the other songs in the top billboard top 10 1979 bad girls by donna summer "Le freak by chic Do You Think I'm Sexy by Rod Stewart, Reunited by Peaches and Herb, I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor, Hot Stuff by Donna Summer, YMCA by Village People, Ring My Bell by Anita Ward, and Sad Eyes by Robert John. Only two songs in the top ten aren't disco songs. And then Donna Summer's right back in there, and uh, 11 and 12 is Too Much Heaven by the Bee Gees, and MacArthur Park by Donna Summer. Um, So it's the height of disco. Yeah. And also... The, the, the height of, of what was called New Wave, uh, which is uh, uh, Blondie, the, uh, the, uh, the police, uh, the clash, uh, well, oddly the clash would release London Calling at the end of 1979. But it was such a good album. It was considered the great. It was Rolling Stone called it the greatest album of the '80s, and uh, the, the '80s was such a bad decade for music. The greatest album of the '80s came out in the '70s.
1: Well, well, well Elvis was also, El, but Elvis, but he was, was right considered punk as well. He was punk. He was and, punk and, then, and
2: new wave. Yeah, and new wave was was a record company appellation. The, the musicians didn't know. Yeah, Elvis came out in, in 1977 in London with the Sex Pistols and the Clash, and and then it was the Jam and Elvis Costello and the yeah. Attractions and. And, uh, uh, you know, all of the bands that were on his original label, um, I, I believe it was called Flip. And uh, uh, I think it was called Flip. I might be wrong. It was one word like that. And then you had like, Ian Jury and the Blockheads. Uh, Nick Lowe was uh, a big uh, producer. And then uh, Rock Pile was a band that he was in. Uh, Dave Edmonds, a lot of that, uh, pub, uh, the British pub rockers. Um, but Elvis was uh, head and shoulders above. A lot of those people in terms of lyrical ability and musical ability. And one of the things that made him so famous to begin with, and I, I remember this, um, 1977, there's this guy named Elvis Costello. People are like, you can't call yourself Elvis. There's one Elvis, and he's the king of <laughs> rock king. and roll. Right
1: now he's on a toilet on a bunch of Percocet, but well, he's yeah, the best. I, right at that time, he died. Yeah, and so people were doubly angry
2: at Elvis Costello. Yeah, right? so no, I, <laughs> I can imagine you killed him. And then he made a lot of news because he went on Saturday Night Live when uh, his second album came out this year's model, and uh, they were going to play. They were here. I got uh, it. They were right going to play Less Than Zero, and then they stopped and they played Radio Radio. Yeah, he, I, I saw that when it happened.
1: Banned for? I, I think he was banned til for til almost eighty nine till eighty nine yeah. from Lauren Michaels, and supposedly when he started the song and then. And then he was like, I can't do it. I have to do this yeah. song. Uh, Lauren Michaels yeah. sat in the background just looking at him with an enraged face, just yeah. giving him two double yeah. fingers, yeah. telling him to go fuck himself. And, they and-, were,
2: and this is something that
1: they saw Jimi Hendrix do on a British television yes. series. He didn't want to do Hey Joe. Yeah. He wanted to do something or he wanted to do a, I think just a, a blues song or something. I, I, I had that yeah. fact. Let me ask you but this. The but the funny comment that Elvis Costello had was when they said, so you were going to play Lesson zero. You played
2: radio radio. They banned you. And he said, yeah, apparently it's not that live.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I read something or I don't know if I read it or I heard it, but I have this fact in front of me. So you were a writer and an actor on the Ben Stiller show, right? Yes. Uh, was it true that Ben and Judd met in line at an Elvis Costello concert that you might have been there too? No, uh, Ben and Ben and Ben and Judd met when I
2: brought Judd to Ben's house. Oh, ben okay. had an apartment up on the uh, above uh, Sunset and Doheny. Yeah, and uh, he had just moved to town, and he had done the Ben Stiller show on MTV, and uh, he was, uh, and he was, he had a pilot for Fox. And everybody on that show was it wasn't cast from a casting. It was just the people that he was hanging you out with. All, yeah. It was me and Janine Garofalo and David, Bob Odenkirk, David Cross came later, um, and it was just a social thing. I was friends with Judd from the Improv, and uh, and we were the same age, and we were both huge Elvis Costello fans. Uh, so uh, we said, hey, uh, you should uh, you should meet my uh, these guys. These guys are really funny, and and that's how Judd met Ben. I don't think why uh, do you think
1: so many funny people love Elvis Costello? Because I talk is like when you when I thought I was gonna be able to get you, I found out Jezelnik and Andy Kindler and Judd. I reached out to all of them and and everybody was like, I would love to do this, but I'm tied up right now. Like so. So it's like, what is it? Is it, is it the, the sense of rebellion from something like the Saturday Night Live sketch? Yeah, is it the that... lyrical ability? Or is it even like that he's influenced here's, by... Here's why. Yeah. Elvis
2: Costello was labeled by the music press when he first broke as the angry young nerd. You know, he wore thick... Look at Buddy Holly. He wore thick glasses. He wore a suit and a tie. You know, uh, he was, but he was angry. Yeah. You know, his music is really... If you look at him... Oh, he, it's, it's yeah. definitely... There's it's an palpable. intense... Yeah, yeah, it's very palpable. And, and that's, what a, that's what comedians are. They're angry young nerds. Uh, and, and and so it's like, oh yeah, him I, He's my guy, I like him
1: So the album starts off With Accidents Will Happen This one took me a few minutes uh, To get into, but I just love The way that it starts, as I sang at the beginning Peter, just hit us with that real quick uh- I loved about this song is that it sounded like three separate songs. You have the verse, you have the chorus, you have the bridge and the outro all sounded like different uh, like like almost like like a, a very symphony like if I think mean, that's a word. But it was also very upbeat and it's funny because this is a very positive sounding song and yet it's about I, adultery. yeah,
2: I, I, it is, and and that's the the wonderful thing that the Jam were great at. It. Paul Weller is very good at writing beautiful,
1: and the Smiths. You know, uh, every time somebody talks about uh, the 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 Jam and right. and Peter Paul Weller, Paul Weller I yeah. always get him mixed up with, with RoboCop. Peter, with yeah, I'm always like, you mean RoboCop
2: with same guy Peter Weller? <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, you know uh, they write beautiful songs about. Uh, but the lyrics uh, belie the the music. Uh, yeah, there's a great uh, line in um, their biggest uh, hit in the states, which uh, the 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 line is um, and as it was in the beginning so shall it be in the end that bullshit is bullshit it just goes by different names
1: <laughs> it's, it's so upbeat yeah, it beat, surrender. So beat surrender is the song
2: um, yeah it's just like it's yeah it's just it sounds beautiful but the lyrics are very harsh and, and that's what accidents will happen is about it's a confession 100%. of an infidelity
1: yeah so this is actually uh, in his memoir Elvis detailed the inception of the song coming from a fling with an attractive lady Driving his cab in Spain, and it's this. What I love about this song is it's filled with all the Elvis Costello stuff, the wordplay, the killer performance by The Attractions, uh, and then the also underrated,
2: the the criminally underrated Attractions.
1: Yeah, but what's cool about this song is that uh, this could be con- construed as like regret or almost like smug satisfaction from some of the lyrics. You know, he, he compares it to almost a car accident. We only hit and run. This song is in E. T. I know I have that fact. Yeah. Also, it was in The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror from uh the segment Wanted Dead or Alive, in which Sideshow mm-hmm. Bob kept killing Bart Simpson. Uh did you have anything to do with that?
2: Um uh Mike Scully probably had something to do with that. <laughs> Mike, Mike Scully is Rand The Simpsons is as, as big an Elvis Costello fan as, That's as so anybody. Awesome. Yeah. Now
1: it's like as I'm gonna watch, I'm gonna see if I can find any references in any yeah. of the seasons. So, let me ask you this. Have you ever been on either end of infidelity? Oh, yeah. You want to elaborate? Or no. no? <laughs> okay. Have you been cheated on? Let's take it from that angle.
2: Uh, yeah. But I've, I've done more cheating on
1: people. You have?
2: In my past, yeah.
1: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
0: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh?
1: Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com Hey there, I'm Johnny Christ from Revenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks With Johnny, streaming everywhere now. So then what is your philosophy on monogamy?
2: Uh, I, I, well... Genetically, it's not supposed to work. <laughs> There's a book called "Sex at Dawn" that talks about the origin of of humanity, and it goes back to the Neanderthals and how uh, sex worked in the tribe. Yeah, uh, and uh, monogamy is a as a, re- a religious construct. And you know, it, I I regret every infidelity that I had. Um, I don't think I'd do it again. Uh, but i will say this this isn't you know it, it, it's 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 difficult a uh, a relationship i say this as a, a divorced fella um is uh you can't let it go you can never take it for granted you, you, the relationship yeah, yeah you you know and especially when you have children uh you still have to put your relationship first and you still have to and, and people grow together or they grow apart um, in my case, it was, uh, it was, uh, the, the former for a long time and then the latter. But I will say this during the height of the Monica Lewinsky scandal with president Bill Clinton, we all remember that I was in Italy.
1: I was in Europe too. Oh really? Yeah. They and, hated us. They were, they, they kept making fun of us. All yeah. the Europeans are well, like, yeah, oh, this, woman,
2: this woman is very well to do a uh, woman, uh, you know, very well wealthy Irish art collector woman, as at this big lavish dinner at this house. Yeah. And uh, she and she just went, what is wrong with you people? Yeah. He's a wealthy, powerful man and he has a mistress. What, what is it? What? And, well, I don't I don't well, I don't know. <laughs> uh it's because, you know, we, we were this country was founded by people who didn't think the Church of England was strict enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know when, when people talk about, well the Puritans came here for religious freedom, yeah, they wanted they wanted the freedom of religion to practice a religion that was far more psychotically strict sure. than the oh. religion that was being
3: practiced. Sure. So they
2: wanted they wanted less personal freedom, <laughs> more religious freedom. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're a very puritanical country, and and, uh, and but you know the monogamy. It's it's a, it's a global uh, uh, thing. It's it's um, but it's certainly in in Western culture. It's uh, it's the ideal that's not always attainable.
1: Yeah. I was
2: I just went to see judd interviewed roger daltrey for like some la speaks thing and roger said you know i've been married to the same woman since like whatever 1966 and you know the reason is we don't ask questions you know i go on tour and she just doesn't ask
1: and she ignores all my hickeys yeah yeah
2: yeah (laughs) and there was just this ocean of silence like we're not allowed to clap at that Sorry, yeah, it's <laughs> hard, dude. My wife's right next yeah, to me. Yeah, it's a bunch You're of people. This with their very wives. awkward for us. I was, I was us there with my girl. I was there with my girlfriend. <laughs> and everyone's like, Hmm, "That's interesting." That is. Uh, <laughs> well, well uh, what do you want to eat after this? Yeah, <laughs> do you, do you want oh, that's, Cheesecake Factory. This again?
1: disgusted to me. Yeah, I well, know was very very interesting. So let me ask you this, and this can be in any any facet. It doesn't just have to be in, in uh like a sexual relationship, but what is the worst relationship screw up you've ever either had done or made? Anything in particular that sticks out? Yeah. What's the biggest accident? Well, I'm divorced. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so I I I think my my really, you know, was not not working, you know, not not keeping the health of my marriage at the forefront of my concerns.
1: Sure. Yeah sure
2: I, I mean we but we we're, we're both both guilty and we're both close and and my my friendship with my ex-wife is th- my, my the fact that my kids aren't screwed up and that my relationship with my ex-wife is very happy and and healthy is the two things that i'm the most proud of in my life
1: i mean that's that's ideally it is like i'm right now at this point in my life where i want to meet a girl to get married mm-hmm. and that's the reason being is before when I had met some girls, I just don't think I was ready and mature enough to really jump into a relationship. I had never cheated, but I had been cheated on. I almost cheated, uh, and I got caught, but I never of went through Of course you get caught. She, dug through my, she went through my Hotmail. Of I was using get- Gmail at the time. Of she, she knew I put it in my Hotmail. Of course you get caught. And Everybody gets caught. <laughs> Byron Bowers was actually the one that said to me, he goes, you better get rid of that picture. She gonna find it. And I was like, I'm putting it in my Hotmail. I don't even use that. It's yeah. deep in the phone. And but I, yeah, dude, I still you know what the funniest shit about it? I said it on this podcast before we were me and that girl were having a great night. Uh, we were we were sitting on the couch. She had just made me dinner and we were watching Girl Interrupted. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was what we were watching, and I fell asleep to that. And then as I woke up, she, it, literally, she looked like Angelina Jolie from that movie. Uh, like, you motherfucker! Yeah. And now she's married to Tommy Lee. So, so it's she just, did okay. She, she did okay. I she mean, did okay. you know, I wonder if he honks uh, his horn still with his dick. I mean, I, what I if, hope so. But so do I, you know? All right, let's jump into the second song, Senior Service. Uh, any thoughts on this? Because I love this one.
2: Well, it, what's interesting about Senior Service is this album was a big departure for Elvis in terms of the sound of the songs uh all of his early albums they all have a very distinct sound sure and the the album prior to this uh this year's model is the album that really uh sort of pinpointed not only what people thought of as Elvis's sound but really jackhammered home the new wave sound of the late 70s well, this... that Farfisa Hammondy organ. and that's what I heard in this sci- yes. sci-fi organ That's really all over this year's model, but yeah, uh, yeah this is a holdover. But it, uh, you said uh, it perfectly. Service has a very uh, has a much more open sound. What
1: I loved about this, I loved the beat, I loved the melody in the chorus, I loved, like you said, the the Hammond, the ascending keyboard is what I wrote the. The just the senior service, junior dissatisfaction, so fucking catchy. Peter, do me a favor, because the best part of this song, which is what I loved, is that the chorus is just like senior service is really low. And then when he goes into that verse at minute one, second twelve, play that because it just pounds, Peter. Senior
0: service, I want your
1: company car. I want your girlfriend in love. I want your place at the bar because there's always another man to chop off your head and watch it roll into the basket. If you should drop dead tonight, then they won't have to ask me twice. I fucking love this song. This was this. I was dancing in here. The dog was going nuts. Uh and from what I, it's a death that's worse than fate. Oh my God! Because it's literally about a. It's like, dude, we've all been in that situation where we have a job and there's somebody stupid above us mm-hmm. that's making more money. He's literally saying you're being the junior at a company and being bitter and envious of the senior positions. Right. What's the worst? And it's
2: also about it's also about uh, the 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 woeful. Job opportunities available to young people in Britain at the yeah. time. This which is, is which is
1: then coming up <clears throat> in Oliver's Army. Right, which he's really is really yeah. going more into detail. What's yeah. the worst? And both jo-
2: of both of these songs are uh, are cousins to the uh, the, cla- the what are the Clash song from uh, uh, Career Opportunities.
1: Let so, me ask yeah. you, what's the worst job you ever had?
2: The worst job I ever had was delivering. Pharmaci- <laughs> That's like the way it started. <laughs> I delivered drugs for a pharmacy in my hometown, but it required driving around my hometown in a van at night after school, and just going to old person's apartment, to senior citizens' home, to old person's apartment, to senior citizens' home. Just oh my god! It was just like a tour. A two every night a two to three hour tour of the dying, <laughs> in the winter, in Massachusetts. It gets dark. The sun comes up at noon. It gets dark at three thirty. Oh god! Uh, and it's just
1: freezing cold. Sticks. You didn't have your uh, Tuesdays with Maury uh, moment. No, no, you couldn't no. just connect with somebody. No, like, hey Ethel, how you hey, doing? It was awful. Okay, well here's some facts from it. In England, the most senior of the armed forces in the navy. Uh, is the Navy. And there's also a brand of cigarettes called Senior Service because of the coarse cut of the tobacco that is commonly called the Navy cut. What is your worst vice? Oh,
2: uh, that's a a great question. When I was really depressed, I would just watch way too much porn. Just sit there and watch not even jack off just just like a it, like white noise just
3: uh, you know yeah
2: and uh i don't do that anymore <laughs>
1: i mean how many asian I'm eye contact blowjob scenes can you watch i just... can't watch any <laughs> <laughs> that was the worst thing i remember my dad died Is that what it's called asian eye contact? well that's the thing was when my dad died that's i had to like scary. we had to clear out his, his stuff and i found the box of porn and ninety percent of it was Asian eye contact blowjob scenes. Oh which no. was so weird because that's what I'm into. Oh so no. I was like like father, like son. No, I'm kidding, I'm not into it. I'm into No, it's the, weird. I'm into just the regular porn. Just sure, regular, just regular old vaginal. Guy. Maybe maybe an asshole yeah. gets thrown in there every once in a guy while. Guy delivering a pizza. Love that.
2: Yeah, I just got to deliver it a pizza. I was a
1: PA on a porno movie. Uh when I first moved out here, I I, I worked for keeping up with the Kardashians as a PA. Okay. Uh, and then which I guess was which like working form for a porn. porn. Yeah. yeah a form of- <laughs> and then I psychological <laughs> porn. Like, and then I went from that and the immediate job was then to to work for the Playboy TV channel right. for for about three months. And uh, it was actually a fun job because it would be like it's like you know the the, so the producer would run in and be like, Josh, we need you to go buy like four strap-ons on the fly, and I'm like, I'm like, you got it, I'm your man, and I just. It was great, and it's. I gotta go. Then <laughs> you're going to craft service, and people are naked. It's just. It was just.
2: Yeah, it's well, it's the least sexual. It's the least sexy thing
1: on earth, the, like le- like
2: anything else. You know, you don't want to be there when they're doing it. So how did you stop?
1: Uh, how did you just stop watching? I got happy. You just I got, got happy. Being, yeah. I what got, was you know, it that made you happy? I was, was at it? the end
2: of my, well, it was the end of my marriage, and I was just you know just not emotional. I didn't want to no, be I where my, I didn't want to be where my feelings were. Yeah. Uh, and then you know you go through the ugliness, and then you come out, and you just don't you know I mean I I, I appreciate it. I'm glad people have it. I think the people that do it are lovely. I want everybody to be safe and happy. I'm not making any moral judgment about anything. I've certainly enjoyed it and continue to enjoy it it's great but i don't do it when uh you know it's like it, you can do you can like anything else you can do too much
1: yeah but also out of all the vices that you could do when you're depressed for me it was always drugs yeah yeah that, that yeah. doesn't hurt anybody i mean it's just like mentally. no i'm very lucky
2: yeah i grew up in a uh, i grew up uh, uh i grew up in a family of very enthusiastic drinkers and drug abusers so for me i uh my specific role in the family was I'm going to do the opposite of what everybody else here is doing. Yeah. And that allowed me to, uh, to not be that, but I had to to find my thing. Here's the, the other thing, my, my in the late seventies, during the time armed forces came out, um, my father, uh, subscribed to penthouse. So we had penthouse,
1: in the, this is the but that's the prime of it. When there actually were articles, yeah. Oh, the, I and the, that it were... was like a
2: phone book. It was like, every month. It was a, it was a huge magazine. Say, yeah, uh, you just like, had
1: penthouse yeah, like, laying around 40 the house.
2: Forty-page interview with Michael chamino <laughs> It was really yeah. heavy-duty stuff. Really but, you really didn't know
1: about the deer hunter that much. Yeah,
2: but but it was uh, in Heaven's Gate. But he but but literally like so. I had uh, I, I had this available to me, and I was 13, 14 years old, probably too young to have it at constant availability.
3: Yeah,
2: um, and but. Here, this is where i'm going with this it was late 70s before silicon boobs were the norm and before the brazilian wax was the norm so that's where i grew up like i the thing that i like is women that aren't fake looking like that, that sure have, i'm 100 with you yeah they have body hair and they have their own boobs and that's like a weird niche like trying to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to it, especially yeah. in this
1: town but we're gonna talk about
2: how do we get here
1: Oliver's army.
2: Yeah, which is a, uh, a that's a, uh, a it's a very political song. The I'm embarrassed that I don't know the Oliver is about Here
1: it's so the title is a reference to Oliver Cromwell, right, okay. a, the leader of the parliamentary army in the English Civil War against the Royalist army of Charles the First. Right. Among other things, he established that was called the New Model Army, which was the first professional, properly trained and drilled fighting force England had. And Costello's song is a general anti-military statement. Its main target is the fact that The only real option that the unemployed have is to join the army. So, British unemployment figures were at an all time high when this song came out in the early 80s, or when he wrote it uh, in the late 70s. And it doesn't really have anything to do with Cromwell other than the title. But he wrote this in 78 on a plane. Coming back from Belfast and it was the first time he went to the city and he was shocked to see very young soldiers from the British Army walking around with machine guns. And the song covers Northern Ireland's troubles Mm -hmm. and the end of the British Empire and life in the army.
2: I do know an interesting aspect of this song that Elvis Costello cops to in uh, uh, that the 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 uh, piano line.
1: Go ahead. Hit me with it because I got it written right there. Dancing Queen. Dancing Queen. Nick Lowe is quoted saying they were having a hard time making the song work. And Stevie, I'm going to say his name wrong, Neve? No, Steve Naive. Steve Naive said, uh, What about if we do sort of an ABBA piano part? There was complete silence. And then they knew their records were good, but no one wanted to own up to it. Which is which is kind of the way I am with with Abba mm-hmm. because I actually love Well, they,
2: they loved Abba, and supposedly when they were touring America, like Abba was one of the few albums that they all agreed that they would listen to.
1: Well, it's a fantastic. <laughs> no, Mama great. Mia is like one of my There's favorite songs, dude. There's nothing wrong with it. There's great nothing punk wrong music. with it. Uh, but but they said when when Naive played the piano part, suddenly the song went from black and white. To fireworks, and to be honest with you, that's what I got from this. Yep. And not just, just so catch, dude. I woke up that morning and Oliver's army, I could not get it out of my head. I watched the music video, I watched live performance. The music of
2: it. video is him, I believe, in uh, in- he's like on beaches or yeah, like he's in Bermuda or Barbados, and he's shit faced. This is, it's just what I love. He later oh, is, yeah. You're, yeah you're, I think I have that fact as completely well. Completely shit
1: what I What I love about this, this is a bright pop song, like we said before, but it's, it's so lyrically heady. It's yep. so heavy. It's so dark. He's talking about just the, just the saying like, you know, the checkpoint Charlie didn't crack a smile, okay. murder mile. Then, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, which we're going to get to in a second, we're going to talk about the one lyric. But Hong Kong is up for grabs. London's full of Arabs. Like Churchill, this is about. Yeah. This is really about. Still, to we this could day, be in,
2: we could be in Palestine, overrun by a Chinese line with the boys. From yes, the, with the boys from the Mersey and the Thames and the Times. But that is. But with, the, with, with other British children. Yes, but here.
1: but what I'm saying, Dana, like what, what what I love about this is that this is a real dark song yeah. about the shit that's going down with these young kids still happening today in America. Absolutely. And, and he puts this little bow on it. And so people wouldn't even know. Yeah. People have no idea. I can't, t- I didn't, I would have never, you know, if I just would have heard this in passing, be like, oh, it's a great song. It's probably about uh, love and uh, he's traveling yeah. in it. He loves China. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that, but I love that when you, you put,
2: you know, you, you, you hide the message. Yes. In, in, I love in a, that, in a, too. In a, in, a, in a bright, poppy song.
1: Peter, play uh, the third verse at a minute of uh, 50. But
0: there's no danger. It's a professional career. Oh, it could be arranged We're just a waiting list that your chills here. If you're out of luck, you out of
1: work. And then also, you coming from that part... Going into the way that it builds to the final chorus with the outro of the ooh, the oh, 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 it's just so mm-hmm. perfect. Now, um, now the
2: phrase that you can't say y- is an allusion to uh, the troubles, which is yes. What- so,
1: so the single because of this line would have been released in America were, were it not for the use of the N word. Right. He says in the, the lyrics are all it takes is one itchy trigger, one more widow, one less white N word.
2: Right. And that was a that was a reference to what uh, Irish Catholics in Northern Ireland
1: were yeah. called. So that for they were
2: killing that they were in the troubles, they were shoot the Protestants we're killing the Catholic. But his father
1: also, (laughs) his father also defended it because he was like, he's not a racist person. It's just, he's making this comparison. And, and I mean, honestly, from what I know, it was also,
2: it was was 19, the song was written in 1978.
1: Totally different time. Totally different. Totally different time. You know, that was when Pete Rose was dating 13 year olds. So I mean, that was his excuse. He was like, it was the seventies. Yeah, it was
2: just, it was, I was, we could take us on a road We don't need to go down to but I'll just give you an example. You know, Excuse me. Things change so drastically in such a short amount of time. The other day, I was home. Uh, I was back uh, back east. I've been going back and forth to Boston, and I was sitting with my dad. Yeah. And uh, we were we were watching. Uh, one, we watched Grand Torino, and watching Grand Torino with my dad is like watching King Kong with a gorilla. <laughs> uh, and and uh, get off my lawn. Yeah, that's right. And then we watched High Plains Drifter.
1: I feel like I know that, but I'm not. It's a Clint Eastwood movie from okay, 1973.
2: Yeah. He's the man with no name. He's a gunslinger. He comes into this town. Sure. He straightens at the town. He rapes a woman in the movie twice. Good God. But he's the star of the movie. And it's just this thing that happens, and then it goes, you know, it's like, you know, why didn't she, you know, and, and it was just one of those things where, yeah, in the early 70s, yeah, it was just like, oh, she said no. That means she wants, she wants to fight it was like no it didn't mean no no man she wants you to force her to do it and this was and and that was commonly held oh, in, good in God. you know and this was 1973 this isn't a century ago yeah this is just 1973 we come to awareness on and mass Later, you know, after about a hundred years, we thought slavery maybe a bad idea, yeah. and half the country went, "You're out of your mind! It's a great idea." Yeah, that was the birth of Twitter. <laughs> 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 you know? but but, but um, and and so so you have to understand that this was a, a different time, and that word, uh, in this in in this instance, is referring to Irish Catholics.
1: It's be so it's like like he said it's com- he's being completely misunderstood by the American right. radio stations. Let me ask you: In what ways are you misunderstood?
2: Well, I will talk about stuff like that on stage. Like, I like to talk about, like, the High Plains Drifter on stage. Yeah. And people will think, you're making rape jokes. No, I'm making jokes about the fact that we now have a hyper-awareness of rape jokes. Yeah. Uh, You know, uh, it's uh, in the movie Goldfinger, James Bond rapes a lesbian straight. (sighs) You know... This was not three hundred years ago. I'm this watch was... some of these movies. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's, like, ins- it's mind blowing. It's insane. Sean Connery. It, yeah, it's insane. He would do that.
1: <laughs> well, she was,
2: honey. Uh, her name was Pussy Galore. It's right there. Yeah, uh, and then he he forces himself on her and then later she saves his life and he goes how do you think why do you think she turned on goldfinger well maybe i appealed to her maternal instincts <laughs> you know it's like he he it's just like it was just a different time yeah. you can't you can't joke about those things
3: so do you find that um, but you- i'm
2: fascinated by by the constantly changing line and where it is, I, I and I and I like to explore that on stage.
1: That brings us in to "Big Boys." Uh, this is another one that I instantly loved. I love the way it starts slow and then kicks in. And Amazing bass
2: work by Bruce Thomas. Incredible
1: in bass work, uh, Peter. Play the chorus because there's a line in it that I can't get out of my head. I shall- I just love how he keeps saying, trying so hard to be like the big boys. At first I couldn't tell if this song was about puberty or infidelity. Puberty, because of the way it starts, I'm starting to function in the usual way, everything is so provocative, very, very temporary. And then in cheating, when the whole, in verse two where he says, I was caught in the suction by a face like a trunction. I was down upon one knee stroking her vanity. Uh, and the list at the end kind of helps prove that. Well, she'll be the one ending with the definite so you can cross her off your list. I think this shows a man who's made a bunch of tough decisions, but who is ready to get on with the next phase of his life.
2: Yeah. It's about a boy who wants to be a man and he can't.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So let me ask you, what are what are some of the most disappointing and some of the fulfilling things now that you're a big boy? <laughs>
2: What the most disappointing thing? Sure. In my in my life currently, or that I whatever I, like I mean. growing up. Like, um, well, i I'll, I was thinking of this recently. I did uh, Uncabaret the other
1: night. I know that room, yeah, right.
2: Which I hadn't done in in uh, forever, and I was in the original school of comedians that started that in the the nineties, and it was uh, it was a big thing here in L. A. Uh, it was at Luna Park every Sunday night on Cabaret. We were the hot ticket in town. And it was uh, Beth Lapidus who books the show. And it was the comedians. It was that whole group. Me, Andy Kindler, Kathy Griffin, Bob Odenkirk, David Cross, Janine Garofalo. Like the whole Ben Stiller group. Um, and all, all those, Julia Sweeney, all those alternative comedians. Wow, it's such a great it was, list. It was, it was a great group. Uh, and so that was the mid-90s. And then I hadn't done it in a long, long time. And then I went back and did it. And I was thinking, there's a reason I'm going. How my life has changed since I would like, so what are you doing Sunday night? I have Uncap. Uh, oh, so everything that I thought was going to happen with my life, none of it happened. Uh, other stuff happened yeah. that was better that I, that I wasn't aware of. Uh, I thought I would become a big star because everybody told me I was going to be a big star didn't happen have a great career uh live you know i i feed myself sure. and i didn't have the awareness that there's a there's a there's a middle ground you 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 can work and be here and and live your life and uh you're not a giant movie star yep. or a giant tv star
1: um well, I think that's a lot of people's expectations when they move yeah. out here. Everybody wants this, to be a big yeah. star, and then we realize it's like I love this life. I love where I'm at right yeah, now. I'm happy to the,
2: work. I'm happy to work exactly. And what I what I didn't realize at the time that was, was the biggest thing is uh, was my kids. Uh, that how much, uh, and, until you have them, you don't know what they do to you, and and. The way they would change my life and my perspective uh, on on life, and the and the beautiful gift that certainly for me personally that my kids gave me, which was it's it's not about you yeah. anymore. That's a relief. Really, a lot of people kick against that. I when I f- my first daughter uh, came into uh, my life, I was like, oh, this is awesome. It's just about them. Yeah, so I can just relax.
1: I know this. Even this is like I'm taking this to a level of. You know, it's still the same in the same vein, but having the dog, like when I sure, got yeah, the dog, yeah, totally, totally. when I got Lecca, I, everything in my life changed. Yeah, I became, yeah. I wasn't selfish anymore. It was about how can yeah, I make. You're not
2: supposed to have, you're not supposed to think about yourself all that much.
1: Yeah. No, hundred percent.
2: You know, that's, why I think it's weird. Trump doesn't like dogs. A weird thing. Does
1: he not? Hates dogs. Fuck him, dude. Doesn't like dogs. Green shirt.
2: What kind of dude doesn't like dogs?
1: Uh, Trump. <laughs> green, oh, green shirt
2: green shirt is a great uh is, is a, again a very elvis costello's publishing company for a while was called plangent visions which really? a, yeah, yeah skewed dark visions uh which a green shirt is certainly that about uh um the the green shirt worn by a newscaster yes cheerily uh, cheerily telling you about the horrible toilet of the world
1: angela rippon Yes. That's uh, this is about which I well I, I got so confused at what this is. I thought this was the most British song on the record. Uh Peter, play the chorus. But you tease,
0: you flirt, and you shine all the buttons on your green shirt. You can please yourself.
1: So once again, this is a dark song, dark undertones in a very cute song. And like he said, this is about the BBC Newsreader, an intellectual sex symbol, Angela Rippon, who Elvis had seen walk by him after he had just played a BBC musical program, Top of the Pops. And you can hear it in these lyrics. He's like, there's a smart young woman on a light blue screen who comes into my house every night. She takes all the red, yellow, orange and green, which is the colors of the BBC. Yeah. And then she turns them into black and white. Yeah. It's like, I, I mean, there, which is also
2: taking all of the colors of the world and turning it into right, wrong, good, bad. Yes. Yes. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room?
1: So, join us on Too Much Effie Perspective. That's EFFING Perspective, the only podcast you crank up to 11.
2: Hello out there. Yes, we out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreets magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to
1: Numbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road.
3: Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you.
1: So let me ask you this: Who were some of your childhood crushes uh, that you got to meet?
2: Oh, oh, that I got to meet. I don't know if I ever met this person, but we did exchange letters. Who? Diana Rig, who was in the Avengers in in nineteen in the sixties. Yeah, I mean she was a. I, I mean, I had a crush on a woman from. 20 years before, you know, I was like, she was a nice old lady by the time I had her. But, oh my God, she was so, uh, crazy, crazy, crazy hot.
1: Dude, the, the, um, the look of the girls in the 60s that like shag with the, uh, oh, it's just the high boots. Yeah. She's in, Game of, she's in Game of Thrones now. Who is she in Game of Thrones? She's
2: one of the old ladies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Diana Rick. She just, just st- stunning, stunning. So, stunning woman. And, um, uh, And it's very funny. Um, There's a movie that I, there's a movie that I love called the ghost and Mr. Chicken. It's a Don Knotts comedy from the sixties. I
1: think I know of it. Very simple, you know, but
2: it's a beautiful movie. Really very, 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 very funny, really well-made movie. And uh, his love interest, this woman, uh, Alma was an actor, sixties actress named Joan Staley or Stanley. I think it's Staley. Actually. Uh, I met her now. She's just a nice old lady. And I said, uh, oh, my God, I had such a crush on you when I was a kid. Yeah. And she said, did I ruin it? Because <laughs> <laughs> she's like a grandmother now. I was
1: like, no, no, we didn't ruin now it. Now you're still hot. What are you doing later? Yeah, what
2: are you doing? You like, almost have to.
1: I mean, grab know, your rascal scooter and well, let's the, get uh, the fuck out of here. Well, the other
2: one, the, the last one was uh, the most uh, It's so funny. It took me so long because it was too obvious. I didn't realize it was. Um, uh, the woman that was Vampira in the 50s uh myla Nurmi
1: from plan nine from outer yeah, space yeah she, she was hot
2: she was crazy hot and uh she and i were incredibly close uh i we were friends the last 15 years of her life
1: well you've done a lot of the stuff with the plan nine right yeah yeah that's yeah. like your shit so that's all, that, that so that's that, shit, that yeah. <laughs> i mean but no no you're right no you're right no but and,
2: my, and myla and i were we very very close that's we got to
1: be close. that's got to be uh just i mean for for something, it's, weird.
2: it's got it's weird. Yeah, it's weird.
1: Why is it weird? Well,
2: because it you know for a while there she passed away uh, in two thousand eight. But for a while there, you know, like you'd watch Plan Nine, which is a movie that I love, and then you'd watch it, and you're like, oh god, I gotta call her about her light bill. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, because I was like, you know, I helped her get an apartment and all this. You know, she had to move and she was elderly, and this kind so of takes I,
1: away from your fantasy a little yeah, bit. She, oh no, no complete, the fantasy's gone. The fantasy's gone, <laughs> the fantasy's
2: gone forever. Well, well, not
1: only is this <laughs> about. Angela Rippon. This is also happens to be about the Hungarian Nazi Party, known as the Green Shirts, owning right. to their standard uniform of a green button up dress shirt. And uh, this is when the song ta- then takes a turn into Elvis's paranoia about the rise of groups like the National Front, right. a far right fascist political party in the UK. Uh, Perhaps Elvis could feel that the coming election of Margaret Thatcher's right-wing government would soon cause a resurgence in these types of hate groups. Sometimes the only way to fight unimaginable circumstances is with ridicule.
2: It's true, and we have that now. One of the problems that Britain had in the late 70s was an incredibly stagnant economy, and when people are out of work, White nationalism rises. Yeah, uh, and we have that here in America now for the for the same well they, uh, ostensibly for the same reason. Although they, unemployment is at two percent, um, but uh, when economic times are in times of economic insecurity, uh, nativism uh, yeah. uh, rises. It's it's math. It just this happens and then that happens.
1: No, I believe it.
2: And uh, again, uh, there was a giant march because when punk started in britain in the 70s the fashion aspect of it uh was you know doc martin boots and short haircuts and it was not dissimilar to the look of the national front which was a neo-nazi organization and that uh punk wanted very stridently to say that no we're about the opposite of that we are about uh, inclusiveness and it's everybody uh, we're all together There was a giant uh concert in hyde park called uh rock against racism that uh that the clash headlined and uh and they had uh their song it's uh one of my favorite songs uh called uh clampdown working for the clampdown mm-hmm. which is about guys joining the National Front. They take off a turban and say, is this man a Jew? You're working for the clampdown. They'll put up a poster saying, we earn more than you. You're working for the clampdown. We will will teach our twisted speech to the young believers. We will turn our blue-eyed men into young believers. And it's all about the, the, the lure of white nationalism as an easy solution to complex problems, which doesn't work.
1: Well, building off of that, have you noticed a difference in how comedy is executed since Trump came to power?
2: Yes. Um, it doesn't go in the way that I thought.
1: How did you um, think?
2: I thought it would be, I thought it would just be all comedy would be all about what an asshole Trump is and i don't see it in my experience i don't see much of it at all because uh, there's no openness to criticism of him from his supporters
1: yeah not at uh, all
2: no, you know i voted for bill clinton twice i also told a lot of jokes about bill clinton sure
1: that's, that's what gone. you're supposed
2: to do yeah right. it's like but but trump's entire presidency is based on Insecurity, anger, resentment—it's—it's uh, it's not an open—it's not these aren't open people, so it, it's—it's—it's—you know—it's divided. You're not going to change anybody's mind. Yeah, uh, and um, I don't really touch it at all. I touch it in other ways. Um, <clears throat> also, it's just there's nothing funny about it. You know, there's nothing funny about a kid in a cage at the border there's no way to make that funny yeah and i don't want to make light of him in a way that lessens some of the The stuff stuff that that he's he's doing yeah that i that i find truly evil yeah and and he's not he's not doing it because he hates children he's doing it because his political base hates mexicans so the more he tortures Mexicans, the more his political base is loyal to him, which keeps him in power. Yeah, because that's what he likes. Yeah, whatever keeps him in power doesn't matter what it is.
1: Yeah, completely. All right, which well, is
2: the banality of evil. Ugh.
1: You you summed that up perfectly. All right, moving on to another part. And without of, a like, laugh, Which without, is no, the state but that's great. That's, that's, that's so great, though. That was I loved that. Uh, so green shirt name checked uh, I'm going to say this wrong. The Quisling, Clinic, Quislings, the Quisling a, Clinic, a building Elvis saw while on tour in Wisconsin because it was founded by relatives of Vidkun Quisling, right. the fascist prime minister of Norway during the Nazi occupation. Right. Elvis thought it sounded like the kind of place where nefarious medical experiences would be carried out.
2: True, and it has a double meaning in the song anyway because Quislings are people who... Uh, uh, have positions of power that completely sell out their beliefs to stay in power. Yeah. I would, I would, I uh, have often said, like Lindsey Graham is a great example of a quisling. Yeah, dude, He's, he, that motherfucker's a, a quisling Complete quizling. for sure. Yeah. Dude. And I have a very, very good friend who's a quizzling, who's a Republican strategist that is a a, a, a professional, a professional Republican um, who uh, worked for Jeb Bush's campaign and worked for John McCain. Uh, he hates Trump. Uh, and, and refer he goes, I don't, you know, a lot of these guys, I knew them. I, I knew them. They were really good guys. They're all quizzlings.
1: All right. Let's go into Party Girl. This is a great song. Uh, I love the opening line. I love the way that he sing it, sings it. They say you're nothing but a party girl, just like a million more all over the world. Yeah. And for years, there were rumors that this was about the affair uh, that Costello had with model Liv Tyler's future mom. B.B. Buell. B.B. Buell. Yeah. So how did... But si- it's
2: not. It's about someone I know.
1: Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Because, because, well, like you're saying, it's in his autobiography he explained that he wrote Party Girl as an apology letter to a young art student from the North County Fair. How do you know her?
2: Uh, she uh, lives in Minneapolis, and I have a ton of friends in Minneapolis. I go to Minneapolis all the time, and... Uh, You have deep
1: connections to Elvis. uh, uh, You're fucking her. You you know, the art (laughs) student. What the fuck? dude? Yeah.
2: She's a, she's a, she's a very, very talented musician in her own right.
1: Yeah. They talked for a while after one of the shows and the encounter was somehow written in a local newspaper in a way that apparently slandered the girl's reputation. Um, can I ask you this? I mean, you don't tell me who she is, but did uh-huh. she uh-huh. is is she okay with the song or is she like yeah yeah, yeah she's fine she's, she's a musician you know a... okay she, cool she's, yeah
2: she's an incredibly uh, evolved person.
1: What's the mm-hmm. uh, what's the worst press you've ever
2: gotten? Dana Gould was overly loud and largely unoriginal. <laughs> It was a review you of me. You came up with that so fast. It was a You'd, review Usually of, people are like, ah, you know? it and you're like- a review of me in the San Francisco comedy competition from 1985 or 86. That's- really cool. And I remember like- <laughs> That's <laughs> with a bunch of people, too. It's like the review of the
3: show is out. Oh, let's see. It's like that scene
2: in Ed Wood <laughs> when they're like, the review yeah. of the play. Yeah. The costumes were good. That's positive. <laughs> it, was, it, was that, it was just like, it's just in the newspaper. Dana Gould was overly loud and largely unoriginal.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's fucking great. Yeah. What I love most about this song is the outro. The outro steals the show, in my opinion. Peter, play minute two, second 24. Thomas's bass playing on this is amazing. It reminds yes. me of Paul McCartney's melodically busy but beautiful playing on something from Abbey Road. Later on, obviously, Paul and Elvis became songwriting partners right. for a while, and about the same time that Elvis fell out with Bruce. Have you lost any friendships or partnerships due to success or any sub- subsequent growth in the industry? Lost
2: friendships? No, people grow apart, but I don't have people that I would call enemies. Or I know Elvis and Bruce had a the Bruce wrote a book called The Big Wheel that was sort of a uh, a uh, romana clay about being with the band. Yeah, and that did not go over well. Really, <laughs> with Elvis, yeah, and uh, and then they had a reproachment, and Bruce came back, uh, and they did two albums together. But uh, at one point, and I might be having this wrong, that uh, Bruce said he was, he was so bored he was playing bad on purpose to see how the band could acom- could overcompensate, Yeah, and that was the last draw with Elvis, and he was f- sacked for good. Oh, I, I re- That story could be wrong, but um, it was something about that. Uh, and then uh, he was replaced with a guy from L.A. Uh, named Davey Farragher, and then the attractions became The Impostors. Oh. But the other two members are the same, Bruce Uh, Bruce Thomas is gone, but Pete Thomas, no relation, is still the drummer, and Steve Naive is still the keyboard player. Well,
1: how has the meaning of friendship altered with success?
2: Well, not with—I mean, my success has been so gradually accumulating that it hasn't really changed. So yeah, there's not like (laughs) a—it's not like a
1: Tiffany Haddish moment where it's suddenly like you're here and then you're fucking. No, I've
2: never had that, but um, but I will say as I you know I get older, like I I, you you value friends. Like I have you know. I'm going on tour this spring with Bobcat Goldthwaite. We're all going all over the country. A bunch of one-nighters called The Show With Two Heads. Nice. And, you know, Bob, I've known Bob since I started in the mid-80s. Police
1: Academy? You knew him during Police Academy? I knew him before
2: Police Academy. Fuck. And I knew him in 84, 83. Uh, And you really, you know, you value that. Because, you know, you, you, you get to the point in your life where you both know people that have died yeah before their time yeah and you're like hey you're still around i'm still around uh and and you know you you there's a great story about i don't know what island it was some tropical island and and paul mccartney was staying on the island and keith richards was also staying on the island and they knew each other you know obviously from the early days but you wouldn't put those two guys together and think they would be buddies
1: they don't, I mean, you know? I mean I kind of would. I don't yeah. know. You would think I mean but anyway, I thought there's a little rivalry maybe yeah. and but, but no, yeah, apparently they
2: would hang out like Paul would get up in the morning, walk over to Keith's house, and they would just hang out all day. One's vegan, one's on Vicodin. I mean yeah. those yeah. start with right. Vs. I mean But also it's like who else can know what it's like to be me? You.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
2: And uh I love you know, you really you you value these Friendships you had for a long time. Do you
1: still have? I mean, with all those people that you mentioned, it's like I
2: have. I have my three or four closest friends I've had for thirty years.
1: That's incredible. Yeah, Yeah, I see that. It's with a lot of the guys that I started with. I might not even see them on the regular anymore. Yeah, but as soon as we get together, it's like we knew what it was like having no money. We knew what it was like struggling to get anything, and now that we've gotten it, it's like it's a beautiful. Beautiful thing. Yeah, definitely. All right. Goon Squad. And this picks up right where the outro for Party Girl leaves us. Right. Probably the most intense song on the album. Like you were saying, the thumping bass and the drums. It's
2: not an aggressive album. It's a very pop. Yes, Sound but this album. is
1: but this is definitely this is the biggest. This is uh, the biggest yeah. with the ah 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 ah. Play the best part, Peter, at a minute fifty-four when it's just bass and vocals and the drums, where everything else drops out and it's just that. Lyrically, it's like a kids' note home from a concentration camp. There's a sinister danger the singer is trying to escape. What were some of your childhood fears?
2: Oh. Oh. <laughs> you still got them? Yeah, I still have them. I had uh, a terrible. Uh, I, I had crazily irrational fears. Uh, if my uh, if my if my mother went to the grocery store, she'd never come home. Yeah. If, uh, if we were in the class and the teacher stepped out for a moment, she wouldn't come back. Uh, I had no sense of security. I still fear being alone in an elevator. Really? Like, that it's going to get stuck. And yeah, no I think one's... a lot of
1: people do. That's still always...
2: And no one's going to save me. And this is where I die. That's my...
1: That's where I go with it immediately. They're at the Ramada in Tulsa? Yeah. Like the elevator's <laughs> gonna get stuck. The now. Blue Whale comedy festival people will yeah. never find me. Yeah, that's my theory. <laughs> like it's gonna get
2: stuck and no it's the same irrational fear. Yeah. It's gonna get stuck and no one's gonna come.
1: That's that that's flat out. Has uh, it gotten easier as you've gotten older? I mean like or no, to the point that you can't survive really. Yeah, it's gotten worse. All right. Well let's let's read some of the lyrics. Thinking and you of, know
2: how I you know how I deal with it? How?
1: White knuckles, <laughs> white knuckles, and then porn afterwards. You gotta, you gotta have some porn as soon as do you're it. done.
2: You just
3: gotta do it.
1: Uh, what I love about this is thinking up the alibis that everyone's forgotten. Just another mummy's boy gone too rotten. They pat some good boys on the back and they put some to the rod. But I never thought they'd put me in the goon squad. And Costello, what I love about that is he's pointing out that the cuddling of your child and catering in their every whim. Uh, almost like they're some sort of pharaoh, won't prevent them from growing up to be an overly entitled jerk. But Goon Squad traditionally stands for a group of mercenaries or thugs for hire who were put to work to intimidate and often violently stifle union uprisings. Who is in your Goon Squad?
2: Oh, I just, I I would consider my agents my Goon Squad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Yeah.
1: Popeye, the, the also the Popeye comic strip. My ex-wife
2: right? used to be my goon.
1: She's squad. in your goon. Well, squad. She was
2: an agent, so she's like, go get him,
1: go get him, Tiger. You want a goon squad you for need your a goon team squad, because yeah. you got to be the nice guy. You're you such a nice, nice guy. guy. You, you know nice you need you need your people to be the pieces yep. of shit that get you the most amount of money. Yeah. Thank you, William Morris Endeavor. Love you guys. The Popeye comic strip and later cartoon character Alice the Goon contributed to the Alice use the u- contributed to the use of the term to describe large, oafish, and stupid characters. So we're talking about yeah. cartoons now. So I have yeah. to ask this because I have a tattooed on my arm. Oh yeah, what do you consider? I didn't even notice that. You didn't? I showed you this. We were at Moon Tower before. I you have it. no idea. I'm I'm like I have David Silverman. Yeah, he drew a picture of me when I went to one of the readings. I cried when I met Tress. Because I because I, I well, love dress is awesome. I love it's. I got the tattoo just so yeah. I could get Agnes Skinner, who I think wow. is the Did most. You see that? Oh, my God. Dude, they. Well, first of all, Nancy, like completely just like took pictures of my arm, I put me on her it. Instagram. And I already knew Yardley from uh, we, we used to go to the same gym together. OK, but I mean, I was like this kid that yeah. was like oh, that's so this funny. dude. I watched The Simpsons. Every night when I go to sleep because it just makes me feel good. You talk about those childhood fears. It makes me feel that that, comfort food that it's it's matzo ball soup. Yeah. Uh, So I have to ask this. What do you consider the Simpsons? What do you consider your most endearing or most notable contribute contributions to the Simpsons universe?
2: Oh, well, probably most notable is the character of Ling Bouvier, which is the adopted Chinese daughter of Selma Bouvier, Marge's sister, is based on my oldest daughter, uh, Lulu, who uh, that, that whole episode was written about when I went to China and adopted my daughter. So that's, that's oh, the that last is- equivalent. And, uh, my, and Lulu was watching The Simpsons one day, and uh, sure, sure she came on and they said, honey, that's you and uh she said uh yeah and i go no honey that's you that's based on you that's in the episode daddy wrote she goes yeah i like bob's burgers
1: <laughs> <laughs> do when you reflect and, on and the meme
2: i have a meme which is uh from a joke that i wrote which is uh Old man yells at cloud. That's that's
1: my. That's opinion. my. That's that's the newspaper article, yeah, right? That's my. That's...
2: Um, I did give the show its first on-screen suicide. I don't want to brag. Um, in uh, Homer the Mo, Moe's bartender. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah he walks, walks
1: into the yeah. he walks yeah. into yeah. the lake, and that to to its credit, that was. Jordan. I'm dying, I'm, Homer. I'm dying, Mo. <laughs> and he walks cancer. Dude, would you have a cure for cancer? Yeah, because that would be great.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. It was George Meyer actually is the one that had the idea that he just I'm dying and walked into the lake and drowns. So it was in all credit it was George Meyer's joke, but we did it at the table read and, and Matt Groening turned to me and he went, Thirteen seasons without a suicide. Thanks a
1: lot. <laughs> I love it, and I just I can't thank you from the bottom of my heart for for. for That's a just, good episode. It's That's a great. R-E-M, episode. R.E.M. was in that episode. It's where he uh, it's he tries to do the Fonzie thing, and he cracks his head over. Oh, and God. Yeah. He's like, "Yeah," and he snaps, and all the blood goes all over the place. I love it, man. All right, let's get into Busy Bodies. Uh, Peter plays 16 seconds in. I didn't like this one at first, but it grew on me. What I did like the most about this song is that it has this Bach melody. It just has this very classical feel to it in the structure of the song. And what I liked about this is that this is a cleverly articulated takedown of how Elvis viewed sex in the 70s. He described this sexual experience as the empty exercise it really is and the yearning for love that we hope and often delude ourselves that it would lead to. Now, let's not forget that Elvis was raised a Catholic and still holds on to many moralist views in many of his songs. Mm-hmm. Yes, he does. Do you ever feel relieved that you missed the sexual revolution? Uh, I caught the tail end of it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I was touring on the road before
1: AIDS, which... That fucking put a... Speed bump and everything.
2: Well, they were very smart in letting straight people think that they could also get it, because otherwise they would have never found a cure. Um, so that I don't begrudge that, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was nuts. Well, you were I re- slept with more people than somebody who looks like me should have.
1: Well, you're smart, you're funny. That's that's the key, dude. So, yeah. You you are cute, you're adorable. You know what I mean? And even when you were younger, we we you should say dude. I'm wearing bib overalls and no shirt. He, I mean, he looks ridiculous, but I mean that's. <laughs> say. But also you were you were raised Catholic, right? Yeah. yeah so was... do you still have any of that moralist view, whether oh, sure. you're still practicing sure. or not? Oh sure. Uh, yeah. I mean and you, it's so
2: deep in you, and I you know, you you try not to uh, let it control your life. You know, it's, it you know, I I've I support a woman's right to choose. Uh I've never had to. I've never been in the position where I was involved in a pregnancy being uh, aborted. Yeah. And I'm really glad about that. No, I completely, I get you know? it. It's like, I wouldn't want to make that call. And it's, as a man, it's not my call to make. Um, but uh, yeah, there is there are a lot of moralistic views that, uh, that uh, especially as Catholics, which is why the entire. Uh, Scandal with the catholic Church and the and the and the abuse at the hands of the priests to me it's it's undercovered it's like like you impose this ridiculous moral code on a on generations of people and you're criminals you know that that's the that's yeah. the joke' it's like whenever whenever the the archdiocese makes a big speech about something i'm like no you don't have a moral voice anymore. go back to being a real estate <laughs> Yeah. A scandal.
1: Uh, uh, well, that's funny that we're talking about this because we're going into Sunday best. See <laughs> it, how I did that? This, uh, it sounded to me like a circus song. Uh, the yeah, it's got a beautiful... It's got a
2: very beautiful. The Waltz, thing. and there's a beautiful, uh, uh, whatever that kind of organ is. Also, in that same organ, is.
1: From the benefit uh, being for the benefit of Mr. Kite. Yes, completely. Also, though uh, this song isn't very well known in America because it was cut off the album here right. for being too British, being too British, and, yes. it, and it got substituted with the song, the, the final song of what we'll be talking about. But after reading the lyrics. It sounded, lo- it sounded very much like a racist who's standing in his underpants on a Sunday morning ranting about immigrants. Because mm-hmm. if you read these lyrics, don't look under your bed, an arm, a leg, a severed head, read yeah. about their private lives, the songs of praise of the reader's wives. This is where, listen to the decent people, though you treat them just like sheep. Put them all in boots and khaki. Blame it all upon the darkies. I mean, yeah. that's dark as fuck for such yeah. a beautiful waltz. Yeah. Uh Today, instead of just yelling, though, at people in our houses, we have Twitter, like you were talking right. about yeah, earlier. Yeah. How has social media empowered voices and opinions, and how has it also taken away power?
2: Well, I think it's given people the false belief that just because they have an opinion about something that other people have to honor it.
1: Yeah. No, completely. Yeah. I I don't, mean,
2: if, you're, if you're offended by that, stop reading it. Yeah. I don't have to stop doing it because it bothers you. Uh, the best. I, I, I don't know who the joke was. It, it might have been it might have been Sarah Silverman It might have been Steve Agee. I'm not sure exactly who it was. It was uh, if you're opposed to gay marriage, don't get gay married. <laughs> 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 you, you know, it's just like if you don't like who cares? I, I don't care what you
1: think. You know, uh, I mean, that's I, the problem with so many people is that like I mean, I, I had to turn off CNN. I just couldn't watch it because yeah. i was constantly mad yeah and i and I i've agree. done every agree, yeah. i've done everything in my power dana to avoid getting into a fight with somebody yeah. on social media and there are i mean it's there's just I, idiots. i just got to the point where i would just go clearly we disagree hey you do you have any plans this year <laughs> how's that going do you get 2020 well welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020 where myself benny goodman Which is a great way to do it. But then there's a lot of other comics that we know that just will get into these battles. Yeah, there's no point to it. So how do you do how do you And I've
2: had people come up to me at shows and say like, Hey, really nice to meet you. We got in a huge fight on Twitter. What? like to them it's just a game to them it's just a game
1: yeah there are people that literally think it's a game and yeah. then there's people no, that are they, that are on the other end and, yeah! yeah
2: you motherfucker yeah, and then they meet you and they're like oh my god i can't believe i'm meeting you it's so nice to meet you your show was so great
1: <laughs> we got into this big battle yeah, for like, like well, two weeks you yeah. remember me All right, Yeah, that's crazy let's jump but in i them.
2: will if i see that racist frog i will block you
1: good yeah. fuck the frog yeah. moods for moderns i love this song beautiful uh, song
2: beautiful pop song great construction it sounds like a 70s great, porno song great kind keyboards of. By Steve it's
1: got that 70s yep. porno feel also i wrote this uh i also i think huey lewis might have stolen from this song
2: well you know it's a
1: very big huey lewis in the news feel good
2: huey lewis the news when they were known as clover were the backing band on my aim is true, Elvis's first album.
1: Actually I found that fact as well. Yeah. But it's it was immediately it was like this this sounds like something off a of sport. It really does. Peter, play the first verse. This sounds like it's about the regret you can get when you think you can do better in a relationship and then realize you had it pretty good after the person is long gone. Um, Was there a relationship that you regret letting go of?
2: Not letting go of, but losing. Yeah. <laughs> As a couple that I like, oh don't go.
1: Yeah. Please don't but go. But you just don't know it. While it's like yeah. it t- it's always years later where you're like, fuck, man.
2: Karen! No, I was I, I love was, you, Karen. I was <laughs> no, yeah. It wasn't no, I didn't get it years later, I got it ten minutes later. Really? No no, this was a terrible thing. Yeah. Years 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 ago Alright, All right. but
1: also to 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 piggyback off that song, this is also one of the hippest songs on the album. It's the yeah. way it swings. What's the hippest you've ever been or felt?
2: The hippest I've ever been or felt was that period when, uh, in the early '90s, when uh, we were all hanging out, like
1: you know that group
2: I was talking about, like judge Janine, and, and that whole group. Was like, it was the only time in my life I was with the cool kids. Yeah, you know, for a brief, for a brief and shining moment, I was in the, I was in the cool
1: kids. I mean, that that must have been. Did you guys know you were all about to do something very special? No, like-
2: no, 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 no. We just thought we were something funny we were all just trying to be as funny as we thought we were trying to be as funny as albert brooks like we all loved yeah, albert brooks
1: he's so and,
2: great uh, he's a genius and uh and that was our big obsession like oh god like Ben. it's funny in that apartment in ben's apartment he had the poster for real life was in the bathroom um and uh yeah we just like can we come up with something as funny as something that he would do and, I just remember uh, watching
1: defending your, your life. life with my dad and just him in tears crying laughing yeah. it's just so he's so brilliant. Have you ever
2: seen modern romance?
1: I haven't oh, no that's
2: his best movie and uh, and Stanley Kubrick called him up and said you made the movie about jealousy that I wanted to make
1: Wow yeah he
2: loved that movie yeah
1: I'm gonna watch it now yeah oh it's amazing Chemistry class mm-hmm. beautifully brilliant song, once again, has a very classical feel to it. Peter, play the chorus. According to Elvis, chemistry class was a reaction to the complacence of some of the university campuses that we visited on those first trips to America. At times, we seem to only encounter hedonism or braying superficiality. Uh, best line. Well, that hasn't changed. No, it hasn't changed at all. The best line in this uh, is where he says, taking orders from the kingpin. Uh, what a funny way to talk about your dick. Uh <laughs> He mentions the final solution, right? Which is really funny because uh, I don't know if you know this, but you probably do that. This uh, the album was supposed to be called Emotional Fascism. Yes, I did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he's just he loves he loves the World War Two. Oh, I mean, yeah, this guy it's a lot of it, a lot of Nazis. Well, if you, in if this. you're raised
2: in England, it's a bigger thing. You know? No, completely. And especially the you know two, imagine to have survived. World War II in England, you know, to, oh, you know, I couldn't. Yeah, they were literally bombing England every night. I remember
1: I went to, we were in London. You go to that Museum of War, or yeah. Museum of whatever, and you get into that bunker, and it and it just reenacts yeah. what it was like when the shells were coming yeah. in. I mean, it's it's incredible. But I I, I think and that
2: sees fascism, and then to see Nazism rise in your own country, I mean, that's just
1: ridiculous. I, I just I can't understand how. Like, I can understand where you could just be like, all right, well, I'm white and I'm proud to be white, but to to want to wanna, like. Like, Hitler, he was so anti-American yeah. that it's like, no, that's the most un-American thing right. to right. be a Nazi supporter. Yeah. Uh, but I love that he, I have to say, I you love... that and
2: also, and why does the you know, you, you can't be proud that you're white. It's not an accomplishment. It's just how you were born. Be proud that you got a hundred on your math test. Yeah. Be proud that you've raised a good family. You know, people don't take Something that you had nothing to do with, that required no effort on your part, and use it as a badge of honor.
1: Yeah. But I'm glad that he put the final solution yeah. into this album. How do you? And, def-
2: then, and then after he
1: goes, final
3: <laughs> solution.
1: <laughs> oh. Two little hitlers. Yeah. Uh this song is how the UK release of Armed Forces ends. It's got a reggae feel to it. Peter play minute 1 second 15 through the chorus. <laughs> She's a
0: it's also calculated. She's got calculate She's
1: You just have to love that with an album that was called Emotional Fascism, mm-hmm. at one point he was going to drop the big H. And yeah. and I love that. It was so funny because I never looked at the title of the song while I was listening to it. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, is he singing about Hitler? And then when I finally looked at the title of it, I, I just thought. It-, it says one of my,
2: great, my favorite lines in the album. What is it? Is that- You call selective dating for some effective mating. Yes,
1: I had that written down too. You thought I'd let you
2: down, dear, but you were just deflating.
1: These are such nice descriptions of sundry component attitudes that go into a certain kind of relationship mentality: the jealousy, the one-upmanship, the shallow linking of emotional connection with pop culture. He says it with pictures of the merchandise. I love. Also, like, what is it? She's got a calculator. What is the line?
2: It's also calculated. She's got a calculator. She's my soft touch typewriter, and I'm the great dictator. It's amazing.
1: It's incredible. And as Elvis said, uh, he used the same language uh, to speak about global and personal problems. And by many accounts, this is just about the disintegration of his relationship to his first wife, Mary. Right. And in case. About whom
2: the song Allison was written.
1: Really? Mm -hmm. And in case you didn't catch it, there was, of course, he gave the shout out to Charlie Chaplin's anti fascist film of the 1940s The Great uh, Dictator. The Great Dictator. Uh, have you ever been, or been in a relationship with an emotional fascist? Uh,
2: yeah, I've been. I've been in. I was in a relationship with somebody that was very emotionally abusive, and I didn't realize it until I got out of it. Uh, There's a very short amount of time I was in this relationship. Yeah, uh, and I also will say. That, uh, I was in a very long relationship early and, uh, in my, you know, in my mid twenties when I, when I lived in LA and I was, uh, my girlfriend and I lived together and, uh, I, I, I see myself at the time. Like I was so horribly self centered, uh, uh, that, uh, like I like I, I look back on my
1: own behavior and I'm just like, Ugh. yeah, you just want to crawl into a hole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the final one on the American release, the one that I knew. Right. Written what's, by not written by Elvis Costello, not written by them, written what's for the title is what's so funny about peace, love and understanding. It was written by the producer Nick Lowe and originally recorded by his band Brinsley Schwartz. Schwartz. Uh, Nick
2: Lowe was married to Johnny Cash's daughter.
1: Funny thing about this song, uh, it was on the Bodyguard soundtrack, and Brinsley Schwartz, uh, uh, the writer, Nick Lowe, made more money off of it being on that than anything. He said he made a small fortune, so thank you, Kevin Costner. Really? Yes, dude. Uh, but also That's amazing Isn't that I great I love that stuff. Isn't it great So But also This this is a great song You know This is This is Play Peter Play Two Minute Two 25 seconds in Because this is so powerful so- I love everything yes. about this song. Where, so where are the strong? Who are the trusted? Where is the harmony, sweet yeah, harmony? Yeah,
2: this this is one of those songs, like you know, ima- you know, Imagine or something like that, where it's just like it, it lays it out so simply. Yes, the lyrics are so beautiful and direct, uh, and it's what Elvis ends. He's, Elvis. Still ends every concert.
1: With oh, this you have song. to end with yeah. this. This is this yeah. is the big sing along. This, this is you. You've yeah. just seen an incredible show. You put your arm around your friend yeah. who's who's and obsessed a, with and him. It's
2: a beautiful. And it's it's a, a spiritual. It's, it's a, a, a spiritual. spiritual. Yeah, it's a beautiful sentiment, and uh, it's a great song.
1: Well, what's great about this is that Brinsley Schwartz, who a lot of us don't know, was a serious influence to artists such as Elvis Costello and The Clash. Yes, who has influenced you? As a as a comedian, however, sure. you, um, what are your bigger influences? Well, my in, biggest in,
2: my biggest influence as a comedian in terms of how I approach stand up was, was George Carlin. Uh, he was really, uh, you know, when I saw George Carlin, I was like, I I want to do that. Like, I love Steve Martin. I was like, I love that. I can't do that, you know. I love Pee Wee Herman.
1: Yeah, I can't, you do, can't that. do that. that's tough.
2: Yeah, George Carlin. Like, Yeah, I can do my version of that. Yeah. And then um, there was a really brilliant writer named uh, and comedian from Boston named Kenny Rogerson, who was really dark, but impish in the way he delivered comedy. Like he was kind of funny, but it was like this album. He would deliver these really dark jokes uh, but in a way that was kind of like impish and funny. One of his jokes that I always loved was uh, I like to go to those laundromats with the big glass doors and just throw in like a doll's head, couple arms, and just walk around going, <laughs> "Anybody seen Susie?" Uh, you know, and it was just like, but he's so funny when you do it, you laugh at this really dark thing. and, yeah. and I thought like, yeah, I, I I stole that from Kenny Rogerson. And then there was a guy in San Francisco that I that lived there when I was there named John Ross, who had a really he was very energetic, and had a lot of energy. But he was also very contained; like he wasn't just unleashed and wild. He dressed really nice, and he was just like exuberant but contained. And yeah. I, and I like stole. I like put Kenny Rogerson and John Ross together, and aimed it at George Carlin. And that's the algorithm of what I do on stage.
1: That's incredible. But what I love probably the most about this is like we were talking about. It's it's just a simple message of unity and love in a troubled world. Mm -hmm. The song became an anthem around the world for peace and tolerance, and it's been copied, uh, not copied, covered by, I mean, so many artists, A Perfect Circle, Lucy Kaplansky, The Flaming Lips and The Wallflowers. But it's like about resolving conflicts. Yeah. How do you resolve your conflicts?
2: Well, one things that I do, and I get in a lot of conflicts. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in terms of you know, I'm a parent. I have three kids. I was went through a divorce. I ran a TV show for three years. You know? yeah. It's like I've I've been in a lot of situations with a lot of conflict, and uh, I'm I'm very cautious to 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 you don't escalate. You know, I never, uh, always de-escalate, never escalate, never, uh, and always um, play chess, don't play checkers. Yeah. When you say something, before you say it, imagine what the person's response is going to be. Because there's only one response to fuck you, and that's fuck you too. There's no, there's no, it's like, fuck you. Well, you're right. No one ever says, you know, you know, no one says that. So that's the uh, you know you have to empathize with the person that you're dealing with look at where they're coming from and I and I really try to I have the theory the the way to put out a fire is to deprive it of oxygen yeah don't don't feed the don't, don't feed, the feed the fuel the, yeah don't yeah. just drop the or like feeding a lion drop the food walk away that's great. No, don't. Uh, yeah, don't make a big deal.
1: That's great. Uh, Dana, this was fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, you so much, much for having me. Wait, wait you're having. Yeah, you're Thank <laughs> you for coming. <laughs> thank you so much. Now get buddy. out. <laughs> Dana Gould, ladies and gentlemen. For all things Dana, go to his website, danagould.com. Dana Gould on all social media. And listen to his podcast, The Dana Gould Hour Podcast. Get his new album, Mr. Funny Man, available on Kill Rock Stars, And check out Stan Against Evil now on Hulu. You can also see him this Thursday through Saturday with me, not like 100% with me, but we're both going to be at the Moon Tower Comedy Fest in Austin, Texas. And you can go to his website to find out his dates with Bobcat Goldthwaite in May, where they're going to be touring all over the country. I'm also going to be posting his mixtape track listing link, so you can find all of that and everything 500 at our website, the500podcast.com. Email the podcast with your pros and cons and your, and your schlans to 500 podcast at gmail.com. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. And you've got a few dates coming up. Like I said, I'm going to be at the Moon Tower Comedy Festival this Wednesday tonight through Saturday. and on Thursday, guys, we're doing a live 500 taping. Get to Austin. And if you can't make it there, May 13th, the goddamn comedy jam at the Roxy with Bill Burr, Jackie Tone, and Joe Sibb. And all tickets are on my website at joshadammyers.com. Please subscribe on your favorite platform and rate and review. Give me a review, guys. Also, we got the 500 Club, guys. Get the podcast a day early on Record Store Tuesday. Free merch. And for the members only, we give them a separate podcast. Join the movement. The 500 Club is the shit. You can find this at the500podcast.com/backslash club for all details on our Patreon membership options to support the 500. Follow my writer Morty at DJ Morty Coyle on all social media and check out his Instagram page where him and his daughter sing many, many songs at B and Daddy Cartoons. Now, we just listened to Elvis Costello. From 1979 Now here is an artist that is directly Influenced by this album From Hollywood, California We have All Day Sucker with their song Quality Problems Off their third album Denim Days You can find them at AllDaySucker.net And if you're in a band And we're directly influenced by one of these Albums or artists and you want your music Featured at the end of the 500 Send us your song to 500podcasts at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and the artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week is Manu Chao Week with his 2001 album. I'm going to butcher this. Proxima Estación Esperanza. It's fucking good. So y'all got some homework to do. At ease, soldiers.
0: To lead a better life, chemically. Um, this quality and we got problems So glad we both got <inaudible> God, um, these This quality So glad that we both got <inaudible> never been a better time than right now, why don't we hurry up and I can for a better time than right now, Love the drawer from the driest moments. now I know I can't say no man, there's never been a better time than right now, why don't we hurry up
2: What's up everyone, this is Jay Reason and I want to let you all know that Diablo Zen Podcast is now part of
1: the Sound Talent Media family. Listen in as me and the one and only Danny Diablo aka Lord Ezak interview artists from the hardcore punk, metal, hip hop scenes and beyond. We have conversations with guests like actor Peter Green, DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill, LA street photographer Estevan Oriol, Jimmy G from New York City's legendary Murphy's
2: Law and pro wrestler Vampiro to name a few. If you're a fan of good discussions, lots of
3: laughs, tune in and join the fun. Next chapter podcasts.